Good morning. Everybody was so excited about getting to Genesis 22 that they didn't even want to talk to me. Let's just get there. It's good to see everyone today. Today we'll be in Genesis chapter 22, and I just want to tell you that Genesis just doesn't get any easier. It, it does not let up. It is one uh, heart-wrenching story after another for different reasons. Some are hard because people sin. Others are hard because of the things that people go through. It is just difficult, and it's like life. I mean, it just keeps coming, and it doesn't stop. So today, uh, we're going to see another episode in Abraham's life, maybe the most famous episode in Abraham's life. I'm not sure if it is to you or not, but this picture that we're getting for Abraham of what he's gone through and how he lived is meant to be a picture also of our life, that we are his children by faith, but also we're going to walk the same roads that he walked down. We're going to deal with some of the same difficulties that he dealt with, and though they will not be the exact same, Still, we will go through the same trials and temptations. Nothing is new under the sun, after all, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Today we're going to see God ask something terrible of Abraham, something nonsensical. This doesn't even make sense. This is the most audacious, perhaps, request that you will ever see God make of anyone in the Bible. And he's never asked this of anyone ever again. So as we read this today, try to put yourself in the place of Abraham. What must have been going through his mind when God comes to him and says this so abruptly? So I'll begin reading. We'll read uh, Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And Abraham cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship, and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, uh, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, My father! And he said to him, Here am I, my son. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. And bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy, 
or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is a rough passage. And it is a test. The author tells us right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 22, we are privileged to have information that Abraham himself did not have. It says in verse 1, God tested Abraham. But even though the author tells us that Abraham was being tested, aren't you as surprised, I'm sure, as Abraham at this command? When I read this, it just is mind-blowing. God does not beat around the bush. He just goes straight to it. He says, Abraham. And look how he draws it out. How he speaks of Isaac in verse 2. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. God knows exactly who Isaac is to Abraham. Abraham has waited almost 30 years for this boy to be born. And by the time that Isaac is... By the time this command comes to Abraham, Isaac is a teenage boy. He's a young man. He's not just a little kid. He says, take your son, your only son, the son of your old age, the son you waited for for three decades, the son whom you've wandered in the land of wandering all these years you've finally gotten, who made you laugh and made Sarah laugh, and everybody's laughed since they heard about it. Take him, yes, take him to Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. We have no words from Abraham after this command. Not a single word. We don't know what he said. But we can know what he thought. Because what would you think? Now maybe Abraham was a lot more faithful and sanctified and all these things than we are. There's no evidence in Genesis to think so. He was a sinner just exactly like every single one of us. Then the story is drawn out on purpose. What did he do? It said he rose early the next morning. Some commentators say that's because Abraham immediately obeyed. And that's probably true. But in my mind, he got up early because he didn't sleep anyway. He's got to go take his son to Mount Moriah. What's he going to tell Sarah? This is one of the first things that goes through my mind. What does he say to Sarah? Hey, uh, God told me last night that I've got to take our son up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. It doesn't even say in the text that he told her anything, and he probably didn't. He probably said, we're going to go worship, and we'll be back. It says that he rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey. We don't need to know that. But it tells us that. Why? 
because the author wants you to get in the mind of what Abraham's doing. He's just doing these menial tasks, going through the motion. He's saddling his donkey, thinking, about, I'm saddling up his donkey to take my son to a place I haven't even seen to offer him as a burnt offering. It says here that Abraham cut the wood for the burnt offering. You see him there sweating, splitting the wood, thinking, this is for burning my son on. What do you think is going through his heart and mind? And then he bring, and then we get this detail. He brings two of his servants with him, only to leave them behind because they can't go with him. He says, y'all stay here and watch the donkey. As if Abraham really cared about the donkey at that moment. Y'all stay here. Because where Abraham's going, he's got to go alone with Isaac to sacrifice his laughter. It takes him three days to get there. Three days he has to think about what they're doing. I guarantee you, that was the longest three days of his life. No doubt about it. Why is God doing this? This is terrible. This is awful. There's no other way about it. When Abraham finally speaks, we see something of the faith of Abraham. When he tells them, hey guys, y'all watch the donkey. The boy and I are going to go worship, and then we'll come back. He says, we're going to come back. Me and Isaac are coming back. What is going on in Abraham's mind? There's no indication from the narrator in this text or anywhere that God has said, Isaac's coming back with you. None. This is what Abraham believes. And then the silence is broken once again when Isaac interjects. Abraham takes the wood, he lays it on Isaac, and he takes the fire and he takes the knife, and they're walking up the mountain, and Isaac's looking around. He said, teenager, like I said, he's like, hey, Dad, here I am, son. Hey, we got the fire, we got the wood, and I'm toting. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? It's a good question. And Abraham just says, anticipating the end, the Lord himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice, my son. Now, we don't know that Abraham was thinking that, hey, when we get up here, there's going to be a ram with his horns caught in the thicket, or if he meant, you're the one he's provided, son. That Isaac was the lamb for sacrifice. We know what Abraham was thinking because the author of Hebrews tells us what he was thinking and we can see what he's thinking from here. He really believed that he and Isaac were coming back down the mountain. In Hebrews chapter 11 it says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your seed be named. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. Here's what Abraham had come up with after the command of God to offer Isaac. While he's cutting the wood, while he's saddling the donkey, while he's on the way to Mount Moriah, he's thinking this doesn't make any sense. But God, who called me out of Ur of the Chaldeans, has never yet let me down. He told me I was going to have a son, and when it was past the ability for me to even have a son, or Sarah to have a son, he gave to us Isaac, and now he's asked for him back. 
But I know that he has told me that through Isaac will my offspring be named. So there's no way that I'm going to go up on this mountain and kill and burn my son to ash that God is going to let him perish. The only way I can see this working out is that God is going to raise my son from the dead. And that's the faith that he went up the mountain with. That God would surely give him Isaac back. Excuse me. Now... How does this relate to anything in your life and in my life? The test of the faith of Abraham. God has given Abraham a command here. He's not going to give you. But it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. All Abraham could do in the midst of this was trust that God, who had been faithful to him all of these years, would continue to be faithful all the way. That somehow he was going to have Isaac back again. Now you won't be asked to kill your children. And Isaac was never going to be killed by Abraham in the first place. This was a test and it was to teach us something. But I will tell you this. And this is just how it is in life. doesn't matter if you are a Christian or not. Suffering and loss and nonsense from your perspective is going to come into your life. And it is going to absolutely wreck you. It's going to happen to every single one of us. We are going to have times of panic, of fear, of not understanding. We're going to feel like we're being sucked down the drain of life. It happens to everyone. No matter how much we act like it doesn't, it happens. It happens in our marriages. It happens in our relationships with our children. It happens at work. We lose our jobs. We lose our livelihood. We get sick. Things happen. We have a wreck. People are paralyzed. All kinds of things happen to us. And you think, this does not make sense. Why would a good God who loves me and has promised me that he has plans for prospering me and not to harm me, God who says that everything's working out for the good of those who love God, there is no way that I can see that this makes any sense in the plan of God for my good or for his glory. You will have those times. And not only that, but you are asked of God to give up everything for him. You can't keep anything. There is nothing that is yours. Not your life, not your children, not your wife, not your home, not your money, not your 401k. Not a single thing that you have is yours, not your time. Listen to me. Even your time that you think is me time, you don't have me time. It's all his time. Now, that doesn't mean you can't rest. It doesn't mean you can't do things. But that means even when you are at rest, you're doing it so you can be restful for him and not for yourself. You're doing it so you can get in a better mental state of mind so that you can go out and serve him better. None of it belongs to you. If God says to Abraham, you've got to give up Isaac, that means all your precious treasures have to be given up to. They all belong to him. Your kids aren't yours. What are you going to do, parent, when your kid gets to be... 23, 24 years old and says, God has called me to an unreached people group in this place and it's going to be dangerous and we're going, we're taking the grandkids, bye, we'll see you once a year. It's not going to be Mount Moriah, but it's going to be pretty bad for you. But those are the things that God has given us children for. These are the things that God gives us treasures for. The Bible says that Children are like arrows in the hand of a mighty man. (laughs) What do you do with arrows? You shoot them at the enemy, right? And who is our enemy? 
You have to give them over to God to be used as He sees fit. God will ask of us all sorts of things, and even if He won't audibly ask, we're going to have to give things up. Missionaries who leave and go overseas, they sell everything that they have and they go. And they hunker down amongst the people they don't know. They learn a language they don't know. They spend their life in a foreign place because they believe that God will give them children, offspring, through the ones that they preach and teach to. Painful things will happen. Big sacrifices will be asked of you. Jesus said it like this. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. That means we have to go and die. All kinds of things will happen to you. All kinds of painful things. Some of them that will not even make sense. Some of them terrible things. Sinful things even will happen. They will come and destroy things in our life that we hold dear. And we have to, in those moments, like I imagine, I could be wrong, but I think it's pretty accurate to human nature. When Abraham goes up that mountain, he is just clinging to God with all of his might. I'll give this to you, God. But it's precious to me. Please take care of it. Please give it back. That's what he's thinking when he goes up the mountain. And when he gets Isaac back, it's for good. We can't keep anything from God. So why does Abraham go up the mountain? Why does he go up there with Isaac? Because he had the hope of a promise. He keeps repeating to himself, I'm sure. God has said that through Isaac my offspring will be named. My beloved son, my only son. This is through whom all the promises hinge. God has said that. He's not going to say one thing and then do another. Isaac's got to come back. He's repeating to himself the hope of a promise over and over again. And what we have to do to be able to let go of our earthly treasures is to over and over again tell ourselves we have the hope of a promise. That if we give these things away, we will receive them back. What did Jesus say? Nobody has left home. Nobody has left children. Nobody has gone off to serve me that won't receive 25, 50, 100 fold in this life and in in the life to come. We've got to believe that like the sower that goes forth to sow, that the reason we sow is because we're expecting a bountiful harvest. And so whatever we invest, whatever we give to God, He will give back to us again. We will not lose it forever. Even if it is our children, our precious money that we give in tithes or whatever, God is going to keep His promise for us. And after Abraham goes up on the mountain, I love how this story just stretches it out. It says, and he laid the wood for the sacrifice. He laid, he bound Isaac. The only place that this word bind like this is even found in the Hebrew language. I mean Hebrew text. Bound Isaac to the altar and he stretched forth his hand and grabbed the knife. It's like slow motion. Watch it. like, oh, just get to the end. Stop him already. Why has he got to go through all this? After he does it, The Lord swears by himself because there is nothing greater. I am going to give you everything I promised because I see that you have not withheld from me your only begotten son. Abraham never lived to see the blessing God promised. And even after all this, he never lived to see it. And I'm going to tell you why he didn't live to see it because he couldn't. He couldn't. Because for him to see the blessing that God had promised him, he would still have to be alive. Because every single day 
God adds to his children every day. For this act of faithful obedience to this day, Abraham is reaping rewards. And in fact, he is reaping more reward today than he did 100 years ago, than he did 100 years before that, because there's more people, there's more Christians, and the faith, contrary to what you might hear, is growing. More and more people are coming to Christ every day. There are billions of Christians. He didn't live to see his promise because he couldn't. He will continue to see the rewards of his obedience even into eternity. You are part of that reward. To this day, Abraham is receiving the reward he's promised. Listen. Listen to the word of the Lord. Listen to me very carefully. You have to realize that your time is not yours. It's very short. It's very precious. It belongs to the Lord. Everything that you have belongs to the Lord. Stop getting distracted with junk here. Live for Christ every day. Lay up your treasures in heaven where the thief can't break in, where the moth can't corrupt. Put your stuff in the hands of the Lord and let Him have it. You will be rewarded. If you hoard your time for yourself, only for yourself, even with your marriage, even with your kids, you can't keep these things for yourself. Every single thing you have is a tool in the toolbox to glorify God. Now, I'm not saying that people are tools in the sense that they're not uh, precious and beautiful and made in the image of God. I'm saying that everything we do, we're trying to direct everyone for the glory of God and for His kingdom. And another thing about this drama is this entire time you're reading this, Genesis chapter 22, and you're thinking about what is going on in the heart of Abraham. God does this on purpose to make you feel the drama of what's going on because this is real, this is hurtful, this is scary, this is painful. What guy would do this to his son? This is exactly what God does for us. You think of God as maybe impassive offering his son on the cross. No, he is having every bit of the agony that Abraham is experiencing because he knows this is the only way I can fulfill my promise to Abraham. Is I'm going to have to deliver my only son, who's better than Isaac, by the way. I am going to have to deliver my only son on the mountain called Calvary. He's going to carry his own wood too. He's going to stumble and fall, and a guy named Simon the Cyrene is going to have to carry it for him because they're going to beat my son so bad he won't be able to walk. And he's going to go up there, and when they put him on the cross, I am going to pour out my wrath on him. I'm not going to spare. So that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob can live and so that all their offspring will be blessed forever. God has not asked anything of Abraham that he is not willing to actually do himself. The word of God says in Isaiah that it pleased God to crush him. Talking about Jesus. It pleased him to crush him. And by his stripes we are healed. Pleased him? Pleased him in the sense that This is the only way to save 
the children of Abraham is that when the time comes to strike the fatal blow, I cannot look back. This is the only way. Why do you think Jesus is in the garden? Why do you think John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Why do you think Abraham says, the Lord himself will provide the Lamb for the sacrifice, my son? When he says, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided, he doesn't just mean he's going to make sure we get our paychecks. It means he's going to provide for us the sacrifice essential for our salvation. The Lord himself will provide it. Right here we have a beautiful picture of the substitutionary atonement. There is Isaac bound and ready to be sacrificed. Abraham is about to kill him. The Lord says, stop. And he looks up and he sees the lamb. The ram caught in the thicket. And it says he sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And that is exactly what happens for us. What do the lambs... Mean. This is why John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why Jesus is separated from all others in the garden, praying, sweating as great drops of blood, saying, Lord, if it's possible, Father, where is the Lamb for the sacrifice? He's it. Is there another way? Can we do this another way, Lord? Father, nevertheless, not my will be done but yours. And so the son goes up the mountain and sacrifices himself, is sacrificed by his father, so that you and I can be saved. And this drama that's played out before our eyes between Abraham and Isaac is just the tip of the iceberg between the drama of God's feeling love for his only son. That's why I keep saying in this text over again, your son, your only son, whom you love, Who else do we hear that about? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. To sum up you, this chapter, there's two things we need to know for sure. One is this. There is nothing that you can withhold from God. When we become Christians, we give everything to Him. You can't hold anything back. It's all His. To do with as He pleases. And part of our duty in discipleship is to learn wisdom, to see how to be good stewards of God's stuff. Not turn into crazy people who can't function as people of the kingdom. And what do I mean by that? I simply mean whoever doesn't take care of his family is worse than a a reprobate. So yes, we have to have our money to take care of our families. That is good and godly. We have to have discipleship to learn how do I steward all this stuff that belongs to God. And should he call me to give these things away, I hold them lightly because they're not mine. They're his. And I can invest them in the kingdom work however we need to. So you can't keep anything. Don't get to withhold anything from God. If Abraham has to give up Isaac, you have to give up everything too. And two, God has not asked you anything that he's not willing to give. He gave us his only son. There is no other thing he could give that was better. There's nothing he loves more than Jesus. Nothing. The world, the universe, everything in it, every star in the sky, every, everything on this planet, everything in all of creation is nothing compared to the love the Father has for His Son. The reason He built this place 
is because he was so proud of Jesus, he wants us all to know what he's like. The world and the creation of all things, including ourselves, is only to reveal the awesomeness of Jesus. That is how much the Father loves the Son. And we ain't even got started with how much he loves him. And yet, for all that, he said, I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to let you beat him. I'm going to let you ignore him. I'm going to let you kill him so that you might live. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. And this is why the Father is really upset that people don't worship Jesus. Because he has given so much that those who will not love and will not follow them, follow Jesus, he will not spare. He has given this great precious gift of himself and if we won't follow him, the wrath of God abides upon us. Because the gift is sweet, it's precious and costly. And it is gracious and kind. We are called by this passage to know that God has given us all some beautiful gifts, hasn't he? He's given us things that give us joy and laughter. Just like he's done Abraham and Sarah. And after he has given us these things, he says, Okay, don't get too attached to it. Give it back to me. I'll take care of it. I'll multiply it. I'll increase it, but it's not yours. Don't love it so much that you forget about me. Don't love it so much that you forgot who gave it. Don't love it so much that you don't trust me with it anymore can't keep it and to it is to give us this amazing picture of the gospel the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world the only begotten son of the father he freely gave him to us because he made a promise long time ago it was re-emphasized here mount moriah was an old man with his beloved son and he did, he went to kill him. God said, Stop. I will surely bless you. I will give you everything I promised. Because you did not withhold from me your son, your only son. The Father knows what that feels like, and so much more. And he calls us today to adore him to worship him and to thank him for the sacrifice of Christ whom he has given because he made a promise to an old man in the Middle East a bunch of years ago that he would bless him. And when God says, I will bless you, he does it. Brothers and sisters, if you will give up your Isaacs to God when you die, you will live. Not only will you live eternally in heaven, but every single thing that you give to God accrues interest in this world because it continues to bear fruit to His glory. You invest your life in His, your children who might grow up and worship the Lord and bear fruit, and those people bear fruit. But not only that, the other people in whose lives you invest your time, your money, your effort to help them see and, and follow in the beauty of Christ, this will give to you interest 
in glory. When Jesus comes to bring his reward with him, he will reveal how he has revealed himself through you over and over again. If he should tarry for a thousand years, your reward will be like the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. And you will not believe what God has done with the investments you have made. Do it. Do it. Let's don't piddle with such lesser things. Let's give it to God. Trust him like Abraham, old Abe, walking up the mountain with his son. And all he can think of is this. God is good. God will give back. God will never fail. That should be our mantra too. This morning, think about how beautiful it is that God has given to us, Jesus, and how we should live in light of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and for your kindness and for the sacrifice of your only begotten Son, your Son, Jesus, whom you love, given him to us so that we might live and not die. You have kept your promise to Abraham, Lord, for so many centuries now. You are faithful. You are faithful. You are amazing.